Bicom podcast. This is Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Brigadier General Reserve Nitsan Nouriel, who is an associate at the Institute of Counterterrorism at the IDC in Herzliya. Before that, he had a long and distinguished career holding various command positions in various fronts in the uh, Israel Defense Forces in the West Bank, in Gaza, and in Northern Command, and we'll get on to that shortly. He was also the military attache at Israel's embassy in Washington. And after leaving the IDF, he served as the director of counterterrorism bureau in the prime minister's office. Nitsan, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. My pleasure. So if we can start and, and focus on the, on, on the Northern Front, as I mentioned, you, were, you, you served for a period as the head of operations in Northern Command. And I just wanted to recap, um, perhaps most of our listeners are familiar, but to recap briefly about what happened on Monday. Um, already for the last week, um, the IDF were on high alert after an airstrike killed a member of Hezbollah in Syria that's been attributed to Israel, um, as we say here, according to foreign sources. Um, and so the, the IDF were already on high alert. On Monday, um, a small cell of Hezbollah approached the mountainous Mount Dov area, monitored by IDF observers on the, on, on the cameras. And as they crossed the blue line into Israel, the IDF troops engaged with them. And even though they were armed and they had kind of malicious intent, they were deliberately not hit. And instead they, they, they ran away. Um, that's the account we have. It almost sounds too good to be true. Um, do you find this version of events plausible? Um, let's say that in order to understand what happened on Monday, we need to open the scope a bit, understanding the Hezbollah policy. Hezbollah decided a uh, few years ago that he will respond on any casualties he may have uh, because of the Israeli attacks in Syria or Iraq. And that's what happened. Since they took that decision, every time when they have casualties, uh, uh, they claim or threaten us that they will uh, uh, take, take actions in order to, uh, in a way, pay back. What happened Monday, after uh, the Israeli airstrike attack in Syria that took place uh, a week ago, and one Hezbollah member had been killed, they, as they promised, decided to uh, attack an Israeli uh, strongpoint in Mount Ardov. And the way they decided to do it is by sneaking in with a small group, uh, take a position, open fire, and hopefully run away. That was the concept. They did it. They came close into the blue line during the night. And uh, when it's become uh, more uh, sunny, and because the terrain is very uh, problematic, a lot of bushes, big stones, they realize that they can sneak in without uh, being discovered by the Israeli observation, which was a mistake. We discovered them, and by a decision, we decided we don't want to kill them. We don't want to escalate the situation, so we opened fire to show them that uh, they are monitoring by us and they have only one option to run away. And that's what happened. Do you think it would help? I mean, there's always a, a, a tension between, between operations and between um, public diplomacy. Do you think it would have helped in this instant if the army would have released the footage to kind of to, to show exactly, show the world exactly what Hezbollah are, are trying, to, trying to do? 
Uh, the reason why we delay sometimes the evidence we have is uh, to make sure that the other side will not understand how, uh, how and from where we got it. So in order to uh, uh, create a different perspective into the event, so again, the enemy will not be able to understand how did we uh, detect it. Okay, I mean, as we, as, we, as we talk today, it's Thursday today, Thursday the 30th of July. Um, the IDF is still on high alert on the border. Um, according to the Israeli media, this is the largest build-up of forces since the Second Lebanon War of uh, 2006. What do, you, what do you, in your assessment, think will, will happen next? What do you think, if, if Hezbollah are satisfied with this response, or what else can we expect from them in the coming days? Again, in order to understand that, we need to go back to uh, last September when we had the same scenario. We attacked targets, few Hezbollah members had been killed. They declared that they want to uh, uh, create or conduct an operation against us. They did it. They launched a few anti-tank missiles. And we create an image that we have casualties. So they were very happy, but unreal. Uh, it was kind of a very uh, dramatic uh, show, which we uh, did by purpose in order to give them the feeling that something happened, but on real, nothing really happened. So I believe that they don't want to be in the same stage uh, after Monday. So they tried Monday, they failed. And now the question is, uh, are they want to try again? Might personal assumption is that they are looking for another chance, but not in the next few days because of the holiday they have. We are now in the middle of the uh, holy and most important holiday for the Muslims, Shias and Sunnahs. And I don't think that Hezbollah want to create something that we may respond and by that destroy the holiday atmosphere. But yes, I believe that Hezbollah will try again, launching an attack against Israeli military targets, either in the Golan Heights or along the Lebanese border. Mm. And if we look uh, for a moment kind of domestically within, within Lebanon, um, how do you assess uh, Hezbollah's uh, standing um, kind of in the context of the, uh, of the economic crisis that they are suffering there? Uh, again, in order to understand that, we need to try to analyze uh, what Hezbollah really want to achieve. And I'm not a doctor, but they have at least a dual identity. In one identity, they are the Iranian proxy. They really care about the Iranian needs. But on the other hand, they are Lebanese. They have the Lebanese identity. And the question is, what comes first? I believe that in that stage, in that specific stage, because of what's going in Lebanon, they prefer the Lebanese identity rather than the Iranian identity. So I believe that uh, Hezbollah will try uh, to ask himself, what are the Lebanese interests and try to follow them. And yet, or but, there is a moment which Hezbollah may understand that the overall situation is too complicated and they will take the initiative 
of kind of a military coup in order to take over Lebanon under their control. And you think they can? I mean, what you, how, how do you assess the forces um, in the opposition or the forces against, uh, against Hezbollah um, to kind of to, to, to withstand that? From the military point of view, no doubt that Hezbollah is the strongest player uh, in the state of Lebanon. Mm. The Lebanese uh, military forces cannot really uh, stand against him. And the people, by the end, don't want to die. So Hezbollah, with the right aggressiveness, can do it in a very easy way. And I believe that there is a moment in the next few weeks which Hassan Aswara, the head of Hezbollah, will have to consider a step like that. Because without that, from his point of view, is going to lose control. Thank you. Very, very interesting. We will, we'll, we'll look out for that, of course. Um, if we can turn our attention for a moment just across the border to, to, to Syria, I mean, we hear the Prime Minister and various uh, military commanders here discuss that one of Israel's top objectives is to, is to prevent the Iranians, their military build-up build up and entrenchment inside Syria. Um, how do you assess their, their efforts uh, in, the, in the last few weeks and months? Uh, let's, uh, let's face it. No one can kick the Iranians out of Syria. Iran uh, is in Syria as a concept, as part of the Iranian concept to control as many Sunnah states as they can. So you cannot really kick Iran out of Syria. So what is the Israeli policy? To make sure that the Iranian proxies the Shiite militias and others will not be strong and they will not become Hezbollah number two. So the question is what Israel can do in order to make sure that those semi-military uh, proxies will not get advanced ammunition system. And if you follow the Israeli actions upon some foreign sources and from time to time admit by us that Israel destroy Whenever we have the intelligence, we destroy the new advanced ammunition systems coming from Iran to Syria in order to uh, uh, create by the Shiite militias Hezbollah number two. And this is all about make sure that they will not be able to have uh, strong semi-military proxies like Hezbollah. Thank you. I mean, so you I mean it's interesting that you mentioned kind of the, the Iranian objective to, to stretch their their influence uh, across Syria. We also know that they're that they're trying to, uh, to influence proceedings inside Gaza, primarily through uh, Islamic Jihad, but also Hamas. Um, you were a former deputy commander of the Gaza Strip Division. Um, what do you make of the Iranian efforts to, uh, to influence the, uh, the those, those factions inside the Gaza Strip? First, let's, uh, let's uh, put a light into the paradox. All over the Middle East, Shiites and Sunnis are killing, are killing each other. The only place which you can see a cooperation between Sunnis and Shiites is in Gaza. Hamas and the Islamic Jihad belong to the Sunnis, and Iran and Hezbollah belong to the Shiites. And yes, they do cooperate in Gaza, because both of them believe that Israel is a common threat. Uh, why Iran want to invest in Gaza goes back into the Iranian policy. Iran wants to control 
the Israeli borders. They want to do it because of two reasons. A, uh, to be very effective, threaten the state of Israel and others, that if someone is about to attack Iran, they can respond immediately, at least from three fronts, against Israel, Lebanon, Syria, and Gaza. So this is a very effective tool for the Iranian to threaten those who uh, think of attacking Iran. But secondly, which is a bit more important, this is the Shiat way to say to all the Sunnas, and the message is the following. You, the Sunnas, tried to destroy the state of Israel many times, and you failed. Now it's our turn, now it's our shift. And we are going to succeed. And we are taking actions. We control the Israeli borders, we develop new ammunition systems, and we are about to destroy the state of Israel, and therefore you, all the Sunnas, can follow us. First time ever, the Shiites wants to lead the Muslim world, even though they are a minority, and from the Iranian point of view, it's about time to uh, change the situation of being minority that nobody really likes into those who are leading the Muslim world. And in order to lead the Muslim world, you need a common enemy. And Israel is in a common enemy. And how do you assess their, their recent efforts to kind of to, uh, to influence the uh, influence activity? Uh, they're trying very hard to uh, uh, supply Islamic Jihad and Hamas, their needs. They do have many difficulties because of the Israeli blockade, because all the intelligence we have, uh, but the know-how and sometimes even uh, technology, uh, they succeed to uh, smuggling into Gaza and they really want to make sure that in case of they need Gaza, Gaza by Hamas and the Islamic Jihad will do uh, what Iran needs, meaning open a front against Israel. I mean, we've actually seen in the last in the last few months a pretty a pretty quiet period coming out of Gaza. Um, during the during the early outbreak of the coronavirus, there was even kind of more more speculation here in, through the Israeli media of a uh, of, of ceasefire talks uh, or reaching an understanding through uh, through the Egyptian mediation between Israel and Hamas. And we know that the, the Qatar is still, a, still supplying their money and kind of helping to keep the calm. But how stable do you think Gaza is um, as we go into the, to the end of the summer and to the end of the year? Surprisingly enough, uh, in that uh, period, we have common interest with the Hamas. Hamas needs a long-range ceasefire with us. He knows that without that, it will be very difficult for him to control Gaza because of the economical crisis, because of the mistrust between Hamas and their people. So again, surprisingly enough, there is a common interest between us and the Hamas. From the Israeli perspective, a long range, missile, a long range ceasefire is something good because we always prefer to delay conflict and Hamas needs this as well. So right now, the both sides are looking for the right structure to reach that long range ceasefire. And I believe that 
in a way, it's behind the corner. We are much closer into uh, uh, that long-range ceasefire than to another military clash. And yet, we are living in the Middle East. We are dealing with unexpected uh, players. So um, having a military clash in Gaza, it's also still an option on the table. Okay, thank you for that. And just a last couple of questions, if we just can, can turn the attention to the, to the West Bank. Um, also been relatively quiet uh, recently, but how concerned were you about the Palestinian Authority's decision to end the security cooperation with the IDF? We need to define between the declarations and uh, what I can say is a fact on the ground. Mm. When it comes into political declaration, the situation is very bad. Uh, the both sides are blaming each other, they are not really uh, engaged and so far and so on. When it comes into the uh, uh, production floor, the ground, uh, the cooperation and the connections are still exist. And the both sides understand that it's better for the both sides to keep it as it, as it used to be. And in a way, all the players, Israel as well as many Arab states, as well as the Palestinians themselves, are looking for the questions, who is going to replace Abu Abbas? Who is going to replace Abu Mazen? And, and everybody understand that Abu Abbas himself cannot take decisions. Abu Abbas himself uh, cannot uh, walk the walk. And therefore, we need to uh, look into the next generation of leaders. And maybe with them, we can start uh, a new chapter of uh, understanding in order to reach, in a way, a new agreement. So if, if I can ask you just to, to speculate as a last question, um, who you think are the kind of the prime, the prime runners to replace uh, Abu Mazen? You know, it's uh, again, it's a bit paradox that if I uh, mention, if I would mention name, uh, he would be assassinated by them. So for the safety of those <laughs> whom I believe that they can take the lead, uh, it's better to keep it uh, uh, among ourselves. But you're confident that, they, that those, those leaders do exist that can, that can change the, uh, the, the paradigm even and, and kind of reach, reach to a, an understanding with Israel in the future? Yes, the answer is yes. Uh, and I can, if we have time, I can tell you two things. Please. The new generation of leaders those who are around 50, 55, there are people whom know the Israelis very well. Most of them speak Hebrew. Most of them sit in the Israeli jail for many times. And they know for sure that Israel is too strong for them. So they will look for a way how to compromise. I can tell you that the leader of Hamas today is doing the same. The Hamas leader in Gaza, someone who sits in the Israeli jail for 22 years, he does not like us. He hates us. But he knows that they cannot defeat the state of Israel. Therefore, he looks for kind of uh, how, can he how can he find a uh, compromise with us. That will be the same story with the one who will replace Abu Abbas. Fascinating. Nitsan, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Most appreciated. Thank you very much, sir. Bye-bye.